Are we on? Yes? Okay. I just always know I don't need magnification, so uh, I, I forget that you need it for the recording. Uh, but this is, um, we, secularly we celebrate a new year, but um, faith-wise also this is a major turning point that we celebrate. Uh, um, I've, I've titled my message, Life After and then because of Christmas. Uh, this is a, a major changing point. Uh, our calendar marks this as um, whether it's B.C., before Christ, or A.D., um, which means Anno Domini, which is in the year of our Lord. So, you know, even using those, there's been some watering down of that by secular stuff, calling them adding an E on them and sins, but the, the reality is for our faith base, it's, um, there's a history before Christ, and then there's a history of, of in the year of our Lord, in the, in the time period uh, after, and we're actually right now today, we're, we're in our seventh day after uh, uh, Jesus' birth. Uh, so um, we are in the time period and we're, we're studying and what we're going to look at today is what is the significance of that we the passage we have today I'm going to read it and there's a lot of things involved in that um, that have a significance to us that helps set the tone of what is the economy of the kingdom of God uh, by as we do this because why did God do it this way why did he um, bring our Messiah to this earth under these circumstances and in these ways. We can just accept it, but if we look at it closer, uh, it will strengthen enough to lift our faith and help us to understand more about Jesus' ministry and about the economy of God, what, what the kingdom of God uh, is all about. So let's read the passage today. It's Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. Um, it should be a familiar passage for us. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Let me stop, though. After they had left, we're talking about the kings had come to visit Herod and had, had said, we, we're coming to see this. A king has been born, and, and Herod is, is interested in that. Um, now after the, the three kings had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, and according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then, what, then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. 
When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there, and after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. So as we read this story, uh, it's easy to just read it and then move on to um, uh, Easter, <laughs> uh, the time that what we really see as maybe, I mean, we celebrate Christmas, but from a faith standpoint, uh, the death and the resurrection is what we really put our faith and our hope in. Uh, but there's a lot of things here that help uh, set the tone and help us to understand um, as stated within the passage itself, there's a lot of prophecy in this. We've studied a little bit earlier. Well, uh, we've talked about the birth, the virgin birth, and, that, and the prophecies that were related to that. Uh, but we also have things here um, that were prophesied. So the way it unfolded does help us to understand and to know. And the people around, if they had studied Old Testament, should have been able to see the signs that would indicate this is the Messiah because these were the ways it was prophesied. When the wise men came, they came because they had studied the old writings and they had understood that this star was significant uh, through prophecy and that there was going to be this king. And so when the wise men showed up, uh, Herod had his scholars look into it to see and they go, yeah, and then they said it would be in Bethlehem. And so that's why when he did this, it was because of the prophecies. So the, the, the fact that there's a lot of prophecies fulfilled in here uh, is significant uh, so that we can understand how we can be certain this was the Messiah. But that doesn't say why it was done this way. That tells you, yes, the, it was prophesied, I'm going to do it this way. But that doesn't tell you why he says, I'm going to do it this way. And, and looking into the why, the, 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 you know, and what I, why Bethlehem? Why a manger? Why send Jesus and his family to Egypt of all places? Why have them to return to Nazareth? Why accomplish the restoration of his people in these ways? And there has to, you know, God doesn't do things without a reason. There's got to be a purpose in what he's doing. And that if we understand God's purpose, it helps us to understand what he values and what he doesn't value. And I call that the economy of the kingdom. And uh, what we're, the life that God's calling for us is exemplified in this, and it helps us to understand Jesus' ministry, and it helps us understand what God's calling for us to be doing. Uh, he, he gave us a lot of um, important messages in the way he did this and why. Um, my take is that God was acting in all ways to not act in ways a worldly mind would expect. 
He was telling us this is different. My kingdom is different than what you are living in. And he's, he's, he's turning it and letting it see that you would expect a king and a messiah to come in a whole different way. In this world, you would expect it to be some kind of a, a triumphant, uh, in a rich uh, castle and, a, and in, in, in power under the earthly side type of power. And that that's where, and in fact, that's why a lot of the Jewish leaders missed this. That's why they did not see this as the Messiah, because they were looking for that kind of thing. They were looking with the eyes that had come to look at what, what they would want from a Messiah in the eyes of the world. And God is slipping this baby in, <laughs> uh, in a poor, in a manger, not in anything of any money, not in anything of any power, not in anything of any strength in the eyes of the world. And he's demonstrating us how he can do things not in the way of the world and helping us to understand that. And as we understand these things and ground ourselves in these truths from this beginning, it helps us to get to understand again the way Jesus' ministry went and the way God wants us to separate our minds from what the world sees as important to focus upon what God sees as important. So he's setting the tone right away with him, with uh, the way he brings Jesus into uh, this circumstance. Uh, he was also making it clear that he wasn't sending it, uh, uh, this Messiah, it, <laughs> the Messiah, uh, in any context by which we deserve it. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of we had done something to earn it. We weren't, he wasn't sending this in response to uh, all of a sudden a, um, an uprising of faith, uh, that there had been this great, uh, 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 fantastic surge of faith, and now all of a sudden the Messiah can rise in on this. He sent him at a time when uh, they w were turning different ways. Uh, and what I think that was is to demonstrate that this gift of the Messiah, this act of restoration, was God was acting only out of his perfect love, grace, and mercy so that nobody could claim they were entitled to this, that it was a gift and that it was open to everyone because nobody, not one person, earned it. Uh, it is by God's grace that I'm sending this child to restore relationship, to offer restoration to us. Uh, and so, again, that was so. No one could take credit. No one could be um, saying, I, had des I deserve this. I was ready for this. I had, read, I had led a revival, and we had had this uh, amazing uh, movement of our spirit. And all of a sudden, therefore, in response to that, God is sending the Messiah in, in this uh, wondrous uh, circumstance. Uh, we can even look at, in this, why he then even have the birth uh, through a, uh, a woman? You know, why do that? Why, why not just take us out of the picture and just uh, put a new created child in, in, into there, send the Messiah, uh, 
but it, it's really important that Jesus came in our way to be like us, to walk like us. Uh, through a natural childbirth process, Jesus would, in a full sense, be like us, being born into the world physically in the normal way and going through the process of growing, maturing, and dealing with life's struggles and temptations. Uh, it was important. Uh, Paul explained that in Hebrews, uh, saying, Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, himself, likewise shared the same things. He shared what we share so that we can know he understands. Uh, and so, you know, there, there, you can see that, that God had a way of laying this out and why he was doing it uh, was all a message. Everything God did was a message to help us understand the economy of the kingdom. What God thinks is important versus what the world would tell us is important to help us to understand, to get us redirected uh, in order to be in a position to accept this restoration of our relationship with God. Jesus didn't have a biological father, but he did have a earthly father who raised him and, and was involved with him just like we were and, and us. But he regarded his father as his heavenly father. That's also a message to us. We are to revere our earthly fathers. We are to honor them and we are to respect them. But our real father is God. That is who deserves our glory, honor, and praise. Uh, doesn't mean we don't honor and, 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 and respect our earthly fathers. But Jesus is teaching us again the way in which we live within this kingdom and where we're focused. Um, now, the, the instruction on fleeing the wrath of Herod and going to Egypt. Why Egypt? Egypt had been a place of captivity and of oppression for God's people. So it's a sign of captivity and oppression. And so we send him back there. You know, what, what sense does that make? Uh, and I think, again, it's just, again, Jesus telling, I mean, God telling us, I can go anywhere. We're coming to take away that captivity and that oppression. And so I can come out of that. And I'm bringing you a Messiah that can go and be in any circumstance, places where you would not think I should be. This, again, goes back to there's a fallacy out there that God can't be in the presence of sin. Well, the reality is, right from the very beginning in the, in the garden, when the very first sin occurred, God went down and walked with Adam and Eve. He went and searched for them. See, we create these things, and, and, and they're not biblical. Uh, because God actually gets in there with us. He comes and finds us. And he demonstrates that right away here by, again, sending this baby Messiah into a land 
of oppression and captivity, a place with that kind of a message as a place where he says, in that place, I'll nurture him there for a while, and then I will call him back. And then when he comes back, we see this, uh, that he comes back and he ends up in Nazareth. And the, why Nazareth? Why come back into this little town? We learn later that this is a place uh, that's not appropriate or worthy. Uh, it's, it's a place that um, uh, nobody really regards as any fancy. Again, when we uh, look later in passages, uh, Matthew informs us that this is a fulfillment of prophecy that, that the Messiah would be raised in Nazareth. However, again, it doesn't say why Nazareth. Uh, John records Nathaniel saying, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So it's not a, it's not a place that it, it had a good reputation. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of like saying a slum or something, you know. Could, could, could anything good come out of the slum? And what God is saying is, yes, I can bring good out of anything. And that, we should take comfort in these things. We should gain strength in this. When, when the world will tell us, hey, you're from there, so you're, you're not as important. And, and God clearly doesn't view it that way. And we should not. That's why, again, when we go in our world, we shouldn't regard people differently if they're from a different ethnicity, a different upbringing from us. Uh, we're not to judge people based upon the way the world does it. Uh, and, and I think God was setting this tone uh, in these things. Uh, he's demonstrating we should, we should judge based on uh, um, God's economy, not on these outward, visible things that the world thinks are important. We should ignore those things and try to look into what is the way God would ask me to see this or do this. Uh, uh, we're, we're to be deeper and try to seek, seek where would God want me to be on this point uh, as opposed to so easy for the world to set the tone and, and tell us who we should value, how we should value, what's important, what things uh, a person should have if they're going to be, if they're going to have made it and that kind of a thing. So God's providing the demonstrate to us that everything has changed. He's, with this, he's saying, throw out all those things that you thought were important. And, in, and also, I think he's saying, throw out all those rituals and things that um, you thought you needed for a connection with me. In the Old Testament, all those things, that was there for a time. Now everything is different. I'm bringing you the real restoration. This is how we restore what I created to begin with and what I intended to begin with. And it started with this baby, uh, born in these humble circumstances, in a place no one would expect, raised in a way no one would expect for a king of all kings. But that's what the kingdom is. It's about that relationship and about uh, not the things of this world. So God's setting this tone the Christmas story unfolds to demonstrate to us a different way to understand a different way of salvation, atonement and restoration. 
The Christmas story unfolds to demonstrate to us God is acting out of his abundant love, not out of obligation and response to something we did to earn it. The Christmas story unfolds to demonstrate to us God is joining us where we are, in our places of captivity, in those places where the world would declare us unworthy. The Christmas story unfolds to demonstrate to us a new way of viewing how God will act in relationship with us, provides the foundational background to help us understand Jesus' life and ministry. The Christmas story unfolds to demonstrate to us Jesus, our Messiah, has come and everything has changed. Praise be to God. If we don't get into those details, if we don't try to grasp and understand them, we lose a lot of the lessons that God um, intended for us as a foundation for our faith. You know, God, again, doesn't do things for no reason. And so understanding why he had this baby be the Messiah, coming in that form that, and, and coming into that poor environment and then going to a place of captivity and oppression. Uh, there is meaning to this, and it helps us understand that how Jesus then was reaching out to people in all walks of life. And it sets the tone for us of how we're to be living. Uh, and that's why I say everything is different. It's no, it's, it's no longer, the, and, and it's also demonstrating to us, God is saying, listen, you don't think I know all the way you've messed up? You, know, you don't think I know all of the, the ways you've turned away from me? Nobody deserves what I'm going to do for you. But I'm doing it because I love you. I seek restoration relationship with you. And I'm going to accomplish it. And he does that and he sets it up in this way so that we can understand it. Um, and hopefully so that we can redirect our minds away from what the world constantly bombards us with about what's important, what we need, how we need it, and constantly remind, tries to convince us who we should care for and who we shouldn't care for. Uh, that's part of the Christmas story, and we can't not get into those details if we really want to grab that foundation that God is laying for us in our walk of faith. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Praise be to God. Join me in reading this psalm of praise. It's based upon Psalm 148, and it's really pretty much the, the context of the way things ought to be um, if we understand just all the blessings God has and how much he really loves us uh, uh, everything that he has created for us, the creation, everything, uh, is all in the purpose of leading praise for God.
And so he'll join me in this, Psalm 148. Have you had a chance to get it up? Okay. Angie didn't get my message until I walked in today. And so, all right. Join me uh, in reading this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you living things in the seas. Mountains, hills, fields, trees, rivers, and streams shout his praise. Wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. And that's why we really, we study, we grasp, so that we can understand just why, just how much God loves us, and how much his great love causes us, calls us to praise him. Uh, when the world handles things however they handle them, oppression, uh, uh, captivity, uh, poor, uh, whatever, whatever this world, illness, whatever this world throws at us, God's still entitled to be praised uh, because through all of that, he is reaching out to us and he's calling us, uh, seeking that restoration of relationship. Uh, and we know that that, will be our eternal home. And so that's where we're supposed to live and look to uh, as we go through our day. So now, as we uh, move forward into our time of communion, it's, it's always important for me that uh, we remember that this is what Jesus told us to do in remembrance. And by that, he didn't mean in remembrance for his death on the cross. Although he did mean that as a part. What he meant was understanding that through the brokenness of his body and the pouring out of his blood, we would receive the Holy Spirit. It would be within us. It's the same as we're taking in these elements in remembrance. That we can live a life as Jesus asked us to live because he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit in us. And so we do this in remembrance, not as a ritual, but as a way of reminding ourselves we have the power and ability to be living this life the way God calls us to do so. And so now when you're ready, come and take part. <laughs> 